0: How do we deal with it? We continue doing our jobs. We demand accountability. We tell our people. And I think the the problem, though, is that I think maybe same in the United States is in the Philippines, fear is palpable. uh, And if it's not fear, it's apathy. Uh, People want to duck until this time period is over. And I think— Well, you clearly aren't. And I want to thank you so much for being here. Five seconds, a message to the world about the importance of press freedom. Press freedom is not just for journalists. I think this is a critical time for democracy around the world, both in the Philippines and in the United States. And you must fight for your rights while you still can. Maria Ressa, I want to thank you so much for being with us. Founder, CEO, executive editor of Rappler and Claim, Philippines News website, has been arrested twice in recent months. I'll be speaking Saturday night at UC Berkeley, 6 o'clock. Check our website on the occupation of Western Sahara. i mean Goodman. Thanks for joining us.
1: KABU is looked up to very much by people all over the country.
0: Please join us on Saturday, April 27th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. for the KBU Editathon. thon The edit-a-thon helps us add missing information to the KABU archive's memory bank. We need KABU former volunteers, current volunteers, and listeners to identify content and programs of our historical archive. We'll be dealing with old audio, program guides, and more.
2: I was attracted by the story.
0: This event is open to the public. Again, that's the second KBOO Editathon on Saturday, April 27th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. here at KBOO, 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland.
1: And there was a great deal of commotion regarding this event.
0: More information can be found at KBOO.FM slash editathon2019.
2: Thank you so much for supporting KBOO during our recent spring membership drive. Thank
3: you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
2: you. We're really appreciative for all that you do to support your community radio station, KBOO Portland. Thanks.
3: KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of the 37th Annual Oregon Ceramic Showcase, Friday, April 26th through Sunday, April 28th at the Oregon Convention Center in Portland. Oregon Potters Association's 37th Annual Ceramic Showcase and Sale features work by over 150 Oregon Potters Association members. It is one of the largest all-ceramic artist shows in the country, and the showcase features sculptures, wall art, jewelry, tiles, functional pottery, and more. Again, that's the Oregon Ceramic Showcase. Friday, April 26th through Sunday, April 28th at the Oregon Convention Center, 777 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events.
1: What would you have instead? Uh, ah, no, this is it. (laughs) to talk
4: when every second
2: And good morning, good morning. You are listening to KBOO Portland, your very own community radio station, and I'm Ani. I'm your host this morning for Positively Revolting. Thanks for joining us. So never again is the cry that has surfaced around the world after World War II. Uh, as we think about atrocities, as we think about throwing our whole selves against uh, this genocide of the past, and yet genocide continues around the world and that is something that is shocking to the conscience. So I'm just going to dive straight into the topic this morning because we have so much to discuss and it's so very important. Since 1945 there have been more than 30 incidents of possible genocide and what constitutes genocide is a question that we'll be tackling here in a moment. Since 71 there are about eight incidents of genocide that most people can agree on. Uh, Bangladesh in 71, Cambodia and East Timor, Guatemala in the 80s, Rwanda in the 90s, Bosnia and Dufer, and the current violent repression of the people in Myanmar, the Rohingya, which is very well known, and the Ketchen, which may not be as well known these events are shocking and they're overwhelming and we know they must be stopped they also happen a world away from us often in remote places where we're not necessarily real connected with media and it often when we hear these stories they can leave us feeling disconnected it can leave us feeling powerless and unable to act and so sometimes we find ourselves turning away from them but we know it's important uh, not to turn away from this horror and Once again, here then, I'm positively revolting. We are turning our attention to it. Uh, It is happening, and as people of conscience, as human beings alive on this planet, we can no longer ignore it or pretend that it's somebody else's business to take care of. When we become aware of such extreme abuses of human rights and wholesale murder of communities, we are morally obligated to do whatever we can to stop it. And to that end, I am honored to introduce Lauren Fortgang, She is the director of the Never Again Coalition. The coalition is committed to turning the phrase Never Again into reality by addressing genocide and mass atrocities with a focus on the Sudans, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Burma. Uh, Lauren has spent over a decade working on human rights issues as well as conflict and atrocity prevention. In her role, she oversees community programming and partnerships in both the U.S. and abroad. Lauren serves on the advisory board for the PSU's Holocaust and Genocide Studies Project. Good morning, Lauren. Welcome to, to Positively Revolting. Welcome to KBU. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's actually start with that question of, you know, how can we have a differing of opinions on what is a genocide? Did genocide occur? That wasn't a genocide. That was just a, I'm not sure what. No, that actually wasn't even real. It was just made up of whole cloth. You know, we hear these conflicting reports. What constitutes genocide?
0: Right, and I guess uh, just I'm gonna yeah. answer that question. But I think that is it's so relevant today because I think when we talk about the Rohingya in in Burma, that use of the word genocide is a really big deal because um, the UN is using that word. A lot of NGOs are using that word. Certainly activists. Certainly the Rohingya. Um, the US isn't using that word, and it's really a legal term. Um, you can say crimes against humanity, which essentially is the same thing. Um, but it enacts when when you ha- use the word genocide, you um, it it puts things in place. It requires us legally as countries as international organizations to to actually act. So I think that's that's why using that word in this time is so important.
2: And so the actual word genocide is a political tool. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And that's a question also is that there's, you know, I've heard people working specifically on the Rohingya saying there's so much time being spent on using this word, but ultimately if the Rohingya people got what they, the justice that they're looking for, would they care if that word was used? That's, you know, that's a question too.
2: Right, right. And so what does constitute um, <clears throat> uh, this this genocide or crimes against humanity? When what What crosses the line when we're looking at, you know, these situations in the Sudans and, uh you know, in Myanmar, uh, what, what is it that we're talking about?
0: Right. I think it's you have to prove the intent to, um, to destroy a group of people. Um, but that isn't necessarily just through killing. And it's not an, an overnight thing. It's not just this one explosion of violence that happens. It's a very slow methodical process. And I think the beginning stages of that are so hard to recognize that often we don't recognize it until it's very, very far along and harder to stop.
2: Right. So it's the wholesale destruction of a culture. Yes. Really. Yeah. So uh, and let's look at some of the reasons why that happens. Um, You have been very active uh, working with issues in Sudan what What is that issue there? what What started things off? You know, we often hear about things in terms of ethnic uh, ethnic intolerance, um, but then we also hear things like maybe that's a mask for resource extraction and for the wealth that is hidden in somebody else's land. Uh, can you talk about those issues?
0: Yeah, I, I think you hit on <laughs> hit on it, and you know definitely certainly in in Sudan and in other situations, often resources the land. Um, the people are on and then I think the other big element that plays in is is power and control over the population so you have to if you want to feel that you have to feel that well I'm sorry uh, a leader that is using genocide wants to make sure that the people feel that that person needs to be in power and so there needs to be a threat so you create that threat by targeting an ethnic group and saying that they are a threat, making, making that up. And that's that's what's happened in, in a lot of these situations.
2: In yeah, many of the situations, I, um, ha- I was very struck uh, when I was interviewing um, Greg Constantine just about three weeks ago, uh, who was here uh, speaking on a symposium about the Rohingya. Uh, that was put together in part by the Never Again Coalition. <laughs> so thank you uh, for all of your hard work. And um, it, and I was, I guess, surprised, and then I was surprised that I was surprised uh, in seeing propaganda uh, that um, the Burmese state, the Myanmar state, is putting out about the Rohingya, about these these Muslim people. They're not like us. Uh, there was dehumanizing language. There was uh, really stirring up uh, racism, ethnic hatred. Um, and, and and the sort of mm, I'm good, I'm putting out, there are falsehoods of atrocities that, you know, haven't happened, but certainly churn through the populace. Mm-hmm. And we saw that um, in some Facebook scandals that have come up in uh, the fact that uh, a lot of these, Rumors were being put out in in social media without, um, you know, that would stoke those flames of ethnic uh, violence. Yeah,
0: absolutely, and I think that can really be um, shown now because now, when when there should be this transition to democracy in in Myanmar and Burma, um, you see that freedom of expression is being targeted, and so the the government is putting out this propaganda, and yet the people that are coming out and trying to um, to Against that, and and speak up about the truths are being imprisoned, and the other problem is that Myanmar is not allowing uh, the international actors and the UN into the country to to look at this for themselves. So there's really um, no way to prove, you know, it. Like you said, I I would call it falsehoods also. But there's no way for Myanmar to to really prove that without allowing international investigators in.
2: Right. Let's look at what you do locally, uh, Lauren. Um, let, let's talk about the November. Co- uh, November. I'm just going to keep <laughs> calling it that. The Never Again Coalition. Um, what What is your scope? What do you do?
0: So yeah, we started um, working on Darfur about 12 years ago, and um, our focus was really on um, advocating for the people of Darfur and really raising awareness. So focusing on education in schools and, raise, you know, holding awareness events, um, but giving people the tools to feel like they could make a difference in e- even if it's in a small way. Um, we've expanded uh, to other issues since that time, but we've kept that mission.
2: And... Uh, w- what is what, what does your work look like? You have um, both initiatives into the legislative uh, uh, folks, as well as education uh, components to well people like us, uh, not not legislators. Uh, can you can you talk about uh, the actual work you do?
0: Yeah, I guess I, I, two examples I can think of. Uh, one very local is that, you know, when you look at the Congo in Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, the situations there are daunting. I mean, it's it's overwhelming. Tell How us many about people, them. Um, <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, there there has been conflict there for decades. Well, for for hundreds of years, but for for decades there has been uh, conflict that has uh, displaced people, um, and there are so many rebel groups. Um, the government has been corrupt for a very long time. It's, we'll we'll see. We just transitioned into a new presidency, so we'll see what that looks like. But there's still. Um, so so much uh, tension and, and violence in the country but it's you know how do you address that and a lot of that is um, economic disparity as well and so one element that we looked at is conflict minerals so if you know you have uh, well if you drive a car if you have a phone if you have a laptop if you you know um, mm-hmm. even if you have glasses and uh, pretty much minerals that are extracted from the Congo are in everything that we use electronics uh, wise and um, we now have a way to trace where those minerals come from in Congo and to make them conflict-free, which means that the mines are not rebel-held and people are um, getting paid to work in those mines. And we are now working... We worked... um, with other individuals at the city level, and now we're working at the state level to make um, the state of Oregon's purchases um, as conflict-free as possible when those products are available. So that's one way that even our own state can make a difference, and um, we as advocates can can work on that. So that's just like on the, you know, the very... That's huge,
2: actually. I mean, I, I have to admit, I was a very late adapter of getting a phone. Uh, because I did not want to participate in the coltan uh, mining and the and in, in in the in the minerals that you're talking about, I tried very hard to um, to not be a part of that, and then realizing wait it, I think it was a, a friend of mine pointed out actually they're in all these other things you used to you just didn't right. know it
0: And the idea is also that we we don't want to we want those minerals to be coming here because we want to create an economy a robust economy in the Congo so we don't want to boycott those minerals. of course we want them to be sourced in an environmentally responsible way as well um, so there's steps towards that but we yeah we want to promote that so we don't we don't right. want to keep.
2: The idea that, that you uh, that we can now find out where exactly those minerals are coming from, and if they're in a uh, in a mine that is uh, not uh, a, a part of the, the ethnic cleansing, a part of the civil war, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. good news.
0: The other thing I was going to add is that you know when we had the symposium at the Oregon Historical Society, one of our panels was um, survivors <coughs> of various genocides. Um, Bosnia the Holocaust Rwanda um, and Cambodia all of those people live in Oregon and having those people here is such a source um, for us to be able to you know create more awareness about you know this isn't a one-time thing Um, so it was amazing to have those those speakers and just to really pull from this Oregon um, you know the community around us.
2: Absolutely you um so this public education work uh, that you're doing, um, there was the symposium earlier this month. Tomorrow will be a screening of a couple of short documentaries, and we'll be having uh, Jeannie Marie Hallacy on in just a few minutes to speak about her documentary that will be shown tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> what else, how how are you, first of all, um, getting the word out about these things, how are What's the reception like? Are people uh actually coming with curiosity? Are people just like, This is too depressing? I don't even want to think about this. Um, how how is that educational component going for you? Yeah.
0: I mean, I am always impressed when people show up to any of our events because it is it is overwhelming and daunting and very it very depressing. But what we try to make sure at any event that we do, if you know, it's a speaker, if it's a film, is that um, there's always a conversation as part of it, and there's always actions that you can take so you don't feel any, like, walk away from any of these situations feeling helpless and that you can't be involved in it. Um, and, you know, with the with Greg Constantine's exhibit that was part of the symposium and at the Oregon Historical Society, we realized during the time it was there, and now that exhibit is at the Oregon Jewish Museum and Center for Holocaust Education through May 26th. <laughs> All the student groups that come through there, they see those pictures, and that has an impact on them. So, you know, just creating that, even if it's a very like low level of awareness, you know, they might go home and then they Google something or they ask their parent mm-hmm. and then they look at it together. So, you know, there's that that level of, of awareness and education, and then and then trying to hold more public events as well.
2: Absolutely. Um, it, if somebody was wanting to uh, get in touch with you. Um, and and do work with the never again coalition how does what what does that look like as somebody who's interested in volunteering what would they do? Yeah
0: we do so we hold monthly meetings. Um, it's usually the first Monday of the month in the evening um, and so you can email us uh, at uh, info at neveragaincoalition.org if you're interested in that um, we have a website as well and um, we you know we we do a lot of different stuff and we we do things based on the volunteers that we have. So we, we're always, it's, you know, the sky is the limit. There's always other things that we could do if, um, you know, if we have more volunteers. So we're always looking for more people. Um, so if you're interested, please, please contact us. That would
2: be wonderful. How does one contact you?
0: Yeah, so it's through, um, e- through our uh, email. Um, info at org is the best way to do it
2: excellent I want to make sure that we post that to our um, program page and so that we can uh, make sure that people can continue to connect with you and I'm kind of I'm getting the high sign that Jeannie might be available yeah. um, so I'm going to ask our beloved engineer uh, to give her a ring and we'll have Jeannie joining us in this conversation And before she does uh, just just Excuse me. What do you have um, going on for the Never Again Coalition coming up? And beyond tomorrow.
0: Yeah, we wanted to make sure, well, we'll Greg's exhibit is still in um, Portland, that we gave people the most opportunities to see it. So we're hosting a series of events at the Oregon Jewish Museum and Center for Holocaust Education, that first one being um, the screenings tomorrow. um, And the other person that's going to be screening a film, um, a short film, it's called We Are Blood, is Molly McKissick, who is a teacher in Ashland, um, who made a short film. So both of those films are tomorrow. And then we're, um, we're having um, Professor Paul Slovic from the University of Oregon is coming on May 9th to talk about compassion fatigue, um, which is certainly something that we could all think about on many different levels. Absolutely. Um, we have,
2: uh, let's see. Oh, I don't think we have Judy So we will in just a moment. Uh, it's always these awkward transitional moments that I live for. Uh, but where is the um, the Jewish Museum? The yeah, it's,
0: um, I, I don't know, I, it's either, it's in the Old Craft Museum, so it's on uh, 724 Northwest Davis, so mm-hmm.
2: really close to the North Park blocks. Okay, excellent, easy to get to, centrally located.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they've been a wonderful partner for us to work on, um, just you know, working on that local level about Holocaust and genocide education.
2: Excellent. And in just a moment, we will have Jeannie Marie Hollisey on with us. And I should mention that I'm Ani. This is Positively Revolting. And you are listening to your community radio station. Coming up at 9 o'clock, we will have One Land, Many Voices, that is exploring the political, social, and cultural issues affecting Palestine and Israel. This week, it is featuring a speech by Alison Ware. At 10 o'clock, Food Sleuth Radio looks at the current state of genetically modified foods at 10:30, film at 11 host doug is joined by mark moen for a discussion of high life a new science fiction film by claire dennis and other recent art films at 11 o'clock pacific underground talks to poet janine joseph about award-winning first poetry collection driving without a license which explores her experience as an undocumented filipina immigrant please stay tuned for all of these programs and oh so much more. They're made possible by your support. If you did not join us during the membership drive that just ended on Saturday, you can still do it. Just go to KBOO.fm and click donate. Or you can also of course use your mobile app. I am a huge fan of KBOO's mobile app since I finally did adapt <laughs> and get a uh, smartphone. Um, I have to say it is about the easiest way for me to listen to, to the radio and you can also uh, hear many of our archived all of the archived programs and podcasts through the mobile app as well it's a free app and you can also hit the donate button and give to support our work as independent media all right so i do believe at this time we have joining us uh, <clears throat> excuse me Jeannie marie Hallacy, <clears throat> and good morning Jeannie. good morning Good morning. So uh, Jeannie Marie Hollisey is a filmmaker, a documentary filmmaker, and she develops relationships with her subjects to open their worlds through her lens. She has interviewed government ministers as well as people who dwell in the slums to get their story. Uh, Cross-cultural communication skills are an asset that she uses in covering issues from refugees to labor rights to people living with HIV. Uh, She has been based in Southeast Asia for decades and works with many NGOs uh, to bring uh, to light situations that are happening. Thank you, Jeannie, for taking the time to join us this morning on Positively Revolting.
4: Happy to be here.
2: And uh, Jeannie, you have recently, uh, we're we're going to see a screening of a film tomorrow, and it is called uh, Mother, Daughter, Sister. It's a powerful documentary. Uh, that looks at two very different communities in Burma, in, in Myanmar. Um, one, the Rohingya, which I think many people listening are familiar with that situation. Uh, and the other, the, the other group are the Kachin, who I was not really very familiar with at all before I saw your documentary. Um, let's start with, with those, those two groups of people. Um, can you uh, just sort of an over overview of what's happening uh, with the Kachin and with the Rohingya, two very different situations um, with the Rohingya of course being uh, well beyond better known one of the things that struck me with the film was one of the Kachin women saying that uh, they, they are, are losing people very slowly, there's not the uh, uh, very large-scale um, um, uh, destruction that is grabbing the, the global lens, but their their uh, devastation is, is at a, a sort of slower pace. Can you talk about the, that comparison?
4: Yes, of course. Um, just to sort of give a contextual um, framework for your listeners, Burma is a country that is also called Myanmar, Um, The official uh, name of the country now in the United Nations is Myanmar. The name was changed um, by the military junta whilst they were still in power. And it was a country that was under absolute military dictatorship for over half a century. It was one of the longest standing military juntas in the world and quite brutal. The heinous human rights abuses they were responsible for has been very well documented in the halls of the United Nations, as well as with many international watchdogs, such as Human Rights Watch. And one of the uh, hallmarks of this military regime has been its systematic oppression against ethnic nationalities. So the country is comprised of over 130 different ethnic nationalities, each of which has their own cultural identity, um, many of which have their own language group and um, and their own um in the various landscape of the geopolitical landscape and the physical landscape of Burma. So the majority are the Bama, which is hence the name Burma. Uh, they are the majority race, but there has been ongoing war waged against many of the ethnic groups throughout the country. And the Kachin are one of the major ethnic groups in the country. They are very um, uh, interesting because they're a large group, but they're, their state which is Kachin State, borders China. So you can imagine how pivotal that is um, with China's ascent in investment, particularly in extractive industries, in various infrastructure projects as it it expands across Southeast Asia. And the Kachin have been um, engaged in an armed resistance against the Burmese military for several decades. So there is an armed Kachin army that has been fighting the Burmese army in this war of what they would call resistance um, or a defensive war, um, but it has targeted them for many years. As a result, there has been massive displacement of Kachin civilians, in both as refugees who have fled outside the country, in some instances across the border in China, where they've often been pushed back because China does not want to host refugees from Kachin State, as well as a large group of what we call IDPs, that's internally displaced persons. Those are people who are refugees in their own land, and they're essentially relegated um, to camps far from the farmlands that they make their livelihood from in pretty dire conditions. The most um, pressing concern now also with the IDPs in Kachin State is because the war has resumed, so the film talks about the fact that there had been a ceasefire for some period of time between the Kachin armed Army and the Burmese. That ceasefire was broken by the Burmese military when they started attacking the area again. And there are many international humanitarian agencies that have not been able to deliver frontline assistance to those Kachin that have been displaced as a result of this war, particularly those that are in the more northern areas And for the listeners who are not familiar with the geography of Burma, in the north where it borders China, it's cold, it's mountainous, it's near the Sino-Tibetan Plateau. So these are areas where where there's actually snow during the winter. So we wanted to highlight the fact that whilst the world was watching the um, uh, heinous atrocities that had taken place against the Rohingya with the mass displacement you talked about, we wanted to emphasize the fact that this type of human rights abuse has been taking place against other ethnic groups across Burma for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the Rohingya were not um, alone in their claims of having been survivors of rape as a weapon of war, which the Burmese military vehemently denied when the first Rohingya women refugees who were coming out um, in Bangladesh had been reached by international aid workers organizations such as medicine frontier and others um, describing the traumatic Mm. incidents of rape in many instances gang rape women who were raped in front of their husbands in front of their children women who had their children their toddlers their infants ripped from their arms and had the had to watch as their infants were killed in front of them and then raped the military's response to this was they're lying They've either been paid to say this or they've been coerced. So our response was to make this film to show, in fact, that this crime of using rape as a weapon of war has taken place in other parts of Burma that are not Rohingya. So in other ethnic groups like the Kachin, like the Karen, other areas where there has been war and military oppression, they have also employed this crime with impunity. The uh,
2: The idea of rape as a tool of war as a tool of oppression and genocide is nothing new it has been going on since uh since war was was created and still you know it is absolutely shocking to the conscience uh that uh the un actually listed uh burma as a a country on the on the list of shame uh as a country using uh sexual violence and violence against women uh, in a organized way, uh, again needs to be noted. Um, can you? Have, you're you're. I'm, sorry. I'm I'm beyond words, and that doesn't happen to me very often. Um, in In this short film, there was a, a letter of solidarity and support from the from um, a woman of the Koran people, and. The idea of doing this uh, work in, and creating um, solidarity lines between the various uh, ethnic nationalities uh, by tying together the commonalities of uh, our experiences as women, as their experiences of women who are being subju- subjugated to uh, this, um, this horrific form of torture, um, can you talk about that act of solidarity and using um, this awareness uh, to maybe uh, uh, help to create that?
4: Yeah, it's important to um, understand that the use of sexual violence in conflict has a very specific and profound psychic, uh, spiritual, cultural impact upon the communities. So it's, a, it's a, um, an explicit use of, of, of severe violence because it not only creates trauma, obviously, for the survivors who have had to endure the crime and the act of the crime in of itself, but it's the aftermath. It's the large-scale repercussions of what is then faced by these women, by these girls, by these grandmothers, once they have survived this, with the stigma, the discrimination, the deep shame that they have felt, the ostracization, the fact that they feel that they cannot marry or they cannot bear children after this because of what they have endured. But moreover, it sends a clear message to the community as a whole that includes the men, the brothers, the fathers, (laughs) the uncles, Mm -hmm. that they are unable to protect their own, Mm -hmm. that they are so worthless and incapable of being able to stand next to their families that it crushes the dignity of an entire community. And it's interesting that you were able to see um, very much that was the objective of the film in trying to create a delineation um, that created a line of connection. That this is something that has not just been an isolated incident that has been documented in the Rohingya communities, which did receive Um, understandably, a tremendous amount of media attention and attention in the international community because of the severity and the scale of the current Rohingya crisis. Um, That is absolutely true. But what we wanted to to demonstrate was that this has been going on and women in other places have been surviving this across Burma. And if there was a solidarity movement, if there were seeds that could be planted to create that trajectory of drawing the line and the connection between these different women, there would be some kind of a moral support for them to know that they were not standing alone. So the letter that you mentioned, which we included at the end of the film, was from yet another ethnic group, who are called the Karen, who also endured decades of very brutal um, war in their communities, and also had documented the use of this crime during the the, um, peak of that war. So I think the the, the point of the film is to also underline the fact that women in any conflict area, and particularly ethnic women, need to have agency for them to be able to stand up and articulate what their rights are, to understand and embrace those human rights before they are able to demand them and seek justice. And part of that includes empowering women with education even if it's informal education that's coming from the community itself which is what we tried to illustrate in the film so in the rohingya community we profiled a rohingya woman who happens to be educated she's an anomaly in that community she's let, less than one percent of rohingya women will ever receive a college education um the vast majority of rohingya girls Will not go beyond a primary school education. So this was an extraordinary woman, Shamima, who's trying to use the fact that she has these critical thinking skills to empower other women by counseling them. And similarly, we tried to show in the Kachin area that there's a women's group, QUAT, which is leading the women by organizing them to show them how to stand up for their rights
2: and this was a really powerful uh, part of the film with Sharima talking to a group of very young uh, ring women who had been raped who had experienced this this torture and and violence and and she's telling them that that it's important that if they want justice they have to come forward with their stories right and that i mean you know as a woman living in this country not facing genocide who has experienced sexual violence in my life it's hard enough to come forward with those stories in, yeah. in my culture, which is pretty alternatively inclined, you know. Yeah. Um, so the idea of being a teenager in this community in Myanmar, in a Muslim community who has experienced uh, the witnessing of uh, the murder of her family and now is being asked to come forward and share this extremely hard story. I just... I. I it left me speechless, kind of like I'm continuing to be speechless this morning. Um the the, the sheer courage of these women to come forward and and tell their stories uh, is amazing to me.
4: Yeah, thanks for sharing your experience, Ani. And I think that that is also you know a broader theme that we're trying to speak to is that women anywhere in the world, even if those women that are not living in a conflict situation or a refugee camp in those extreme uh, situations, but right here in the United States, as we know, rape has become an extremely widespread crime that is largely unreported. So it is a crime of violence that really drives a stake into the heart of the soul and the psyche and the dignity, the human dignity of the person who survives it and those around her. And And, and that is something that, that must change. And it can only change by having the agency of women themselves standing up to speak out. So, like they have courage, you've had courage right now to tell us that on the air.
2: I, I want to invite our listeners to call in and join in this conversation. We have, uh, oh gosh, about 18 minutes left. Let's go ahead and open those phone lines, and the number is 503 231 8187. 503 231 8187. Let's go ahead, and somebody has already called that number, uh, obviously having it memorized from the past. Let's talk to Lou. Good morning, Lou. You are on the air.
1: Good morning. Excellent program, excellent topic, excellent guests. Um, It sounds like um, the educational films that are documentaries are um, very extremely useful um, uh, avenues for people to support uh, women's agencies in conflict zones and conflict wars. Um, I just thought I would mention and then ask a question. that There is a anti-genocide organizing committee meeting um, tomorrow at Portland State at 4 p.m. Um, it's at uh, what's called Chit Chat Cafe. It's 1907, Southwest 6, next to Hot Lips Pizza. It's on Green Max. Um, the, the films that our particular uh, coalition at Portland State have used to try to emphasize some of these human rights and women's rights issues, um, in Burma, um, there's one that focuses to a certain extent on the Korean uh, called Beyond Rangoon on women's rights specifically um, for uh, the thing you mentioned with the first guest about uh, Blood Diamonds um, there's a film that's called Blood Diamond that we've used as well that's uh, an excellent access to some of the issues um, there's obviously an older one um, the killing fields about Cambodia and genocide and um, there's also one that's less well-known. We have a film program, so that's why we're showing these, and we'll try to hook up with um, other current networks on documentary stuff. But um, there's one called The Innocence, which focuses specifically on rape as a tool of war during World War II by Russians against Polish women, a group of nuns. a true story. Um, I guess my question um, is, for Burma specifically, um, at least I haven't heard anyone mentioned so far between the two guests, um, the role of Aung San Suu Kyi um, is, uh, that is, it sounds like the most important thing is for um, ethnic women to use their own voices uh, to network. But is there uh, a moral culpability or any sort of um, uh, organized movement, um, for example, to have Aung San Suu Kyi return? Since it seems like she's supporting what used to be called Slaughter, the State Law and Order uh, Repression Committee in Burma. Um, thanks for doing the program.
2: Thanks. Uh, Jeannie, do you have any information on uh, the role of Aung San Suu Kyi?
1: Yes,
4: I just thought first maybe though we should go to Lauren and let her um, let the listener know about the film screenings that we're actually having tomorrow, so that um, you know that folks also know. Which is why I'm coming up to Portland tomorrow. Is yes. Lauren still with you?
2: Yes, she is. And and we did talk about those uh, a, a little bit at the beginning. We'll definitely get to those again. Uh, and let's go ahead and do that now. Tomorrow, 2 o'clock, Lauren, is, uh, are the screenings?
0: Yeah, tomorrow at uh, 2 o'clock, is, um, we're screening both uh, Jeannie's film, Mother, Daughter, Sister, and um, Molly McKissick's film, We Are Blood. That both um, Molly's film specifically uh, addresses uh, Rohingya children uh, in uh, refugee camps in Bangladesh, and then Jeannie's film, which we've just heard about. So yeah, both of those, 2 to 3.30, with a conversation with both directors
2: afterwards. And that is going to be um, at the Oregon Jewish Museum and Center for Holocaust Education, which is at 724 Northwest Davis, right? Yes. Cool. Uh, so uh, back to Eugenie. Uh, yes. And and I do want to talk more about your visit to Portland tomorrow, but uh, that actually was also a question uh, on my on my mind, uh, and that is you know for so many years. Uh, many uh, folks that were doing some global activism uh, focused on the repression of the Karen and Aung San Suu Kyi's voice uh, was very much centered in that and I know I myself uh, celebrated wildly when she actually came into power and I thought, wow, this was fantastic, we have have achieved something Um, so rarely do I get to say that and now we're looking at this some years later what's going on um has you know has she become a part of the power structure that she used to fight against what's what's happening with onsan suchi
4: we're asked this everywhere um that we speak and no um, because when we show our films and not just this film we, we accompany them with panel discussions and this has clearly been Um, a topic that has been on many people's minds. And um, just to give people a a bit of an understanding of the contemporary history, Um, your listener mentioned Slork. In fact, um, Slork uh, dissolved many years ago, and they renamed themselves as the SPDC, which is the State. Peace and Development Council, mm-hmm. a bit of an oxymoron for a military dictatorship <laughs> to call themselves.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
4: That, but that is, in fact, uh, the, the incarnation of the dictatorship um, that was then um, in, in transition as we know it now. So as your listeners might be aware, um, the transition from, from Burma's military dictatorship Toward a democratization was a hallmark of uh, former President Obama's administration. It was sort of the feather in his cap that he felt um, they could could largely be credited to the American policy because we did have quite strict sanctions in place, and the influence of those American sanctions against uh, Burma were were held in place for many years um, since the Clinton time. And there were global movements, as you mentioned, across. You know from europe to even in asia uh certainly in, in north america in support of the democracy movement with the icon of ang sang Kyi as the emblematic head and visual visual face mm-hmm. of that movement so there was tremendous faith staked in her um as the leader and when elections took place um, and her party which is the national league for democracy known as the nld um, ran. Again, they did have a landslide victory. She was prevented from becoming uh, president because of a clause in the Constitution, which was enacted under military rule that uh, disallowed her from becoming president because she has a, had had a foreign husband who passed away, um, the late, great Michael Harris, who passed away from cancer while she was under house arrest. And therefore, she created this title that she now holds as state counselor. So it's effectively, she is the ruler, the decision maker, but does not hold the office of president. It should be understood that the Constitution that I mentioned, which was um, promulgated under military rule, is inherently undemocratic. And that Constitution enshrines the continued... Um, leverage of military influence on all spheres of life across the country. So to give your listeners a concrete example of what I mean by that, 25% of all seats in their parliament, which is like the American Congress, are appointed by the military. They're Mm -hmm. not elected. Mm -hmm. And in order to create any new law, what is the percentage you think is needed to pass the new law? 76%. (laughs) 76%. <laughs> uh-huh. So therefore, there can be no legislation, there can be no legal reforms, judicial reforms um, enacted yeah. under this current constitution. So this is one of the issues that is confronting um, Da Su, uh, Dong Sang Su Chi. she's called Dasu for short, in her role. That does not um, uh, overshadow the fact that um, there has largely been... Disappointment um, What people feel was A shortcoming in her Lack of response, not a response But lack of response To the amazing Unreal, I mean I've been doing This work for many decades And I had never seen anything like I've seen In the Rohingya camps in terms of Just the scale of it, Mm it takes your breath away But also the stories You know, Mm -hmm. story after story After story of unimaginable Unspeakable horrors (laughs) And the fact that she did not come out straightforward and and take a stand on that and take off her political hat and put back on her human rights hat from the moral fortitude ground has certainly disappointed people. I understand Mm -hmm. your listener's point. However, it is also important to understand the limitations of what she is able to do curtailed by this current situation. Burma is still largely under military rule. All of the key ministries, what they call ministries, which is like in the United States um, departments, like the Department of State and Homeland Security, those types of departments, those ministries in Burma are still completely controlled by the military, impacting many spheres of life, and she is navigating um, an extremely fragile and ever-changing tightrope of change. So coming from 50 years of military rule, I mean, absolute control, Mm -hmm. only likened to North Korea, is not going to transform in a few years. Mm -hmm. It's gonna take a generation, if not perhaps two generations. Um, This is not to say that she should not, um, when called upon, take a stand. When there's something as serious as what has happened to the Rohingya, Um, it, it absolutely requires moral leadership from every sphere of the government, including the State Counselor's Office, which is held by Aung San Suu Kyi. Um, I also um, feel that the current case, I'm not certain if Lauren brought it up, but um, another case that we are involved with, which Lauren and Never Again Coalition is also working on, is something your listeners might know, which is the two journalists working for Reuters who are now in prison. Jo Sao and Walon are two Burmese journalists who were providing critical reporting for an in-depth forensic um, feature piece that Reuters put out uh, regarding one of the various um, atrocities that took place during the ethnic cleansing against the Rohingya. There was one infamous massacre. And these two journalists went to get critical information and deep background and to verify witnesses to this massacre. And they were set up by police and arrested. For nothing more than being journalists they are now in prison they are serving uh, a seven-year sentence for reporting as journalists Um, they have already been imprisoned for over uh 14 months and just two days ago the supreme court once again heard their case it was taken to the highest court in the land and it was struck down Their appeal was not uh was denied so um this was another incident instance where people in the international human rights community felt that this was a time when Dong Sang Suu Kyi could take a stand and speak out. Um, instead, she deferred to what she called the rule of law. Um, there's no doubt that she is um, you know, trying to uh, retain and cultivate relations with certain people in the military junta who are still largely essentially calling the shots and in power. Mm-hmm um as as she's taking she's looking at the long game right of what 10 years from now burma's going to look like or 20 years from now so that i think you know what perhaps she is aiming to do is before she dies and leaves this this life she wants to have the seeds planted um for a transition that would be sustainable Mm -hmm. but certainly um there is a time when politics has to be put aside and the moral courage to stand up and say no this is wrong needs to be expressed
2: absolutely uh, we have Francis joining us by phone Francis we have just a few minutes left for your question or comment
4: yeah i I have a lot of questions and <laughs> I appreciate the conversation about Burma and Congo and as far as never again goes do you guys um are you able to address genocide that's going on in other countries such as Yemen and Libya and those places. Um, some people call the 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 countries where there was what some call regime change wars mm-hmm. where people are um uh, in really dire straits. Do yeah. people do you guys address any of those situations?
0: Thanks, that's a really good question. Um and, and I should have brought that up earlier And
4: also in the Western Western Hemisphere, what's going on in Central America right now. Okay. Uh, that's you know, do you address any of that genocide that's going on?
2: Thanks very much, Francis.
0: Yeah. So, um, what we've decided at this point, as Never Again Coalition, is we are a volunteer-based organization, as I mentioned before, and we we want to make sure that everything that we work on is effective, and we don't um, spread ourselves too thin. So, we we're really focused on those the countries that Ani mentioned before: um, Sudan, South Sudan, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and um, and Myanmar, and we feel that with the resources that we have at this point that we have to stick with that. It's true. All of everything that you mentioned needs to be addressed as well. Um, we just don't feel that we can do that at this time, but thank you. It's very, very important. And so
2: it sounds like, you know, again, there's a capacity issue, right? And so for people who are listening, who are moved to, really be a part of a movement against genocide, against uh, these crimes against humanity. How can they contact the Never Again Coalition?
0: Yeah, the, the best way to contact us is uh, email. is It's info at neveragaincoalition.org. is the best way. And you can find out more. We're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and we have a website, so you can find out more about us there as well. And then we have monthly meetings that we always always welcome more people to.
2: All right. Um and, and now and thanks very much, Francis, for, for your call this morning. I wanna um, just spend the last couple of moments talking about tomorrow's event. Uh because that's another way people can connect. If you have the opportunity tomorrow, uh to go see these uh short films and to connect with the Never Again Coalition and with uh with Jeannie Marie Hallacy and uh, the filmmaker whose name I've forgotten. Uh the the film We Are We Are Blood. <laughs> Um, that would be a great time to do it, right? So again, uh, Jeannie, you are coming to town to present your uh, documentary as part of this event tomorrow. Um, what Can you give your thoughts about uh, uh, this event and what, why you're coming to Portland, why it's important enough for you to travel? We have
4: had a really um, uh, excellent experience in partnering with the Never Again Coalition, so they've been a key um colleague of ours from the onset of our film, because all of the films that we create are um, human rights content, and they are created for advocacy. So whenever we release a film, we also roll it out with a distribution plan that's aimed at creating platforms for interaction. So it's, you know, the films are tools to really catalyze discussion. And the Never Again Coalition has been uh, really essential for us in helping us get, get the film out This will be my second trip to Portland uh, ever. The first was the the first one that Lauren organized when we had a show. um, I think it was, when was that, Lauren? I think think it was last fall, right? Yeah,
0: October, I think.
4: Yeah, and um, we also had um, the very good fortune to have, through Never Again Coalition, be connected with a wonderful young designer who created an entire social media campaign uh, related to the film. So, she created these very beautiful posters of the women featured in our film and these graphic designs of the Kachin, ethnic Kachin, and the Rohingya women that are also t-shirts that you can get, um, all of which goes to support the women um, back in Burma. Um, But the social media campaign is also an opportunity for people, because people often ask, what can we do right now? Um, The idea is that we created these very large-scale posters and people take a shot of themselves with their smartphone and then upload it with the hashtags that were created for the campaign, which is hashtag her 2 and hashtag I stand with her, and take their photos next to the photo of one of the women in the film and upload that um, to to create a social media uh, snowball uh, of support for these women. So we're really looking forward to coming and working with Never Again Coalition Again and, um, and uh, the filmmaker Molly McKissick, who you mentioned, um, who's going to be showing a short and joining us for the panel. So we really hope your listeners can come and be part of the discussion. And um, I'm looking forward to coming back to your lovely city again tomorrow.
2: Jeannie Marie Hallisey, uh, thank you so much for your work and for joining us this morning on Positively Revolting. And Lauren Fortgang, thank you so much for your work. Um, I hope to have you back on as we continue to follow these stories and the work of the Never Again Coalition. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you for having us. Absolutely, our pleasure. And stay tuned to KABU, your community radio station, at 9 o'clock, One Land, Many Voices. And uh, from there, it just continues on and on throughout your day. At noon, we will switch to some music. And at 4 o'clock, Public Affairs once again. Um Thanks for joining us. Next week, we are preempted for a special day of programming um, produced by, for, and about the Asian Pacific Islander uh, American community. And so, with that, I'll be back in two weeks and uh see you soon. <laughs>
3: ABU Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of the Greenfield Peace Writing Scholarship Awards Ceremony on Friday, April 26th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Celebration Tabernacle Church in Portland. The Greenfield Peace Writing Scholarship Awards Ceremony features the 2019 high school student winners of the Greenfield Peace Writing Scholarship and keynote speaker, Dr. Brian Gibbs, Vice President for the Equity and Inclusion at Oregon Health and Science University. This year's scholarship question was, how can you work against systemic racism to help make our world more healthy? Again, that's the Greenfield Peace Writing Scholarship Award Ceremony on Friday, April 26th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Celebration Tabernacle Church, 8131 North Denver Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available by calling the station at 503-231-8032. Meetings will be held at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, unless otherwise noted. The Development Committee will meet the first Wednesday of each month at 4.30 p.m. And this is KBOO Portland. It's 9 a.m. and that means it's time for One Land, Many Voices, which this month features segments from our good friends at the Guns and Butter podcast. So, without further ado, here it is.
2: This is Guns and Butter. Yes.